Welcome to the 35th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. And to be honest, there's no one greater than this man, League Cup winner for Wolves in 1980, 162 appearances for the Wolves, 45 goals between September 1979 and November 1983, Andy Gray. Andy, how are you? I'm fine, Jason. I'm a bit disappointed. 35th in line. My goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Andy, you was very difficult to get on. <laughs> Listen, I'm now about to get you. Listen, no problem here. Yeah. I'm now about to get you off a, a golf course. You see, for this, because you've been playing golf today, haven't you? Yeah, we've been we've been sort of locked down for a long time now. We haven't had golf for about ten weeks here in Qatar. Um, because of COVID-19 and today was the first day that they allowed uh, anyone on the golf course Because you, so you can imagine that uh, the expats were out in force today uh, even though it was something like 48, 49 degrees Really? Um, yeah, it was quite hot today but we got we got out there and, uh, and it was just lovely to be on the fresh air uh, on the grass again and some golf balls, good, bad and indifferent Wow, wow, absolutely brilliant, Andy. Now, obviously, you're living in Qatar now, but it all started um, back in Glasgow, and your first club, I believe, was Dundee United. So I just wanted to, you know, a, a quick catch-up on your early career and how it all started and how you got spotted. Well, I got spotted playing sort of juvenile football in Glasgow on a Saturday afternoon uh, by a, a Dundee United scout, a guy called Morris Freel, who's still a pal of mine to this day. Um, Morris thought it was half decent, sent me up to Dundee. I had a trial against the first team. I was useless. I was only 16. I was nervous. I was hopeless. And I went away. But Morris had faith in me and persuaded Jim McLean uh, to, to have another look and play me against boys my own age and he'd see a difference. And the second time I went up, I took my brother with me for a bit of support and played in a game, played well, scored a couple of goals. And Jim immediately took me into his office, said he wanted to sign me and I couldn't wait to put pen to paper, I couldn't do it quick enough. I remember my salary was £16 a week uh, that I signed for it was, and £6 of that I had to go to my landlady for my digs. So I was left with a tenner a week and uh, I didn't care. It was just the fact that I was playing football was all I wanted to do so I was, I was just made up. I mean, you, you had an incredible goal scoring record um, in, in Scotland, Andy. I mean, 46 and 62, that got you your move uh, south of the border to, to Aston Villa. I mean, was that a big move at the time for such a young man? That was massive. Um, absolutely massive. I mean, Jim McLean had, in all honesty, the, set, the start of my sort of third season there, uh, Jim had come to me and said that he felt I needed to go that if he kept me in Scotland they would be holding me back which was really good of him because yeah. I was I was probably his most important player um, but here he was telling me that he felt I had to go and sure enough about months six weeks later um, Villa came in and, and I thought well it was a done thing in those days that if you were a, a Scot and you were any good 
Um, and you just had to look at the teams in the mid seventies, how many Scots were playing in, in the top teams. Yeah. Um, they were just littered all over Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester United. They all had great Scott players in them. Um, and it was a natural progression if you were any good that you would go to uh, you'd go to England. So Yep, Jess. Yep, I've got you, I've got you, Andy. Oh, you dropped out there, didn't you? Yeah, it's all right, it's all right. It's because Andy's the other side of the world in Qatar. But, um, yeah, we've got you loud and clear, Andy. <laughs> I just felt you dropped out there, thanks. Oh, no well, problem. No, so it, was, it was only a big decision, Jace, was uh, did I feel I was ready to go? At um, I think I was just coming up for um, my 19th birthday. I was only 18 uh, or 19, I think I was. 19, yeah, 75. I was 19, coming up 20. Um, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, it's only down the road. You know, I can always come back home, see family and friends pretty much whenever I want. So it's only a 300 mile drive. So I thought to myself, go on. So, and I did, and it was, uh, it was one of the best decisions. I mean, I've, I've made some, some good decisions in my, in my life. Yes. Some pushed and some not. Yeah. But, Haven't we all? you know, that was a good club for me to join. Yeah, that was a great club for me to join as a kid. It yeah. really was. It was an up and coming club. There were a lot of great young players in it with a, a liberal bit of, very good experienced players um, who who were the right sort. So it was good. And they just got promoted back into the big league. Yeah. So it was a good time to be at, at Aston Villa. Now, obviously, Andy, your goal-scoring record there was fantastic. I, I believe, it, you'll probably correct me, but it was 54 in 113 appearances. Um, and, and that's really what got you a big money move to Wolves at the time, which was 1.15 million plus VAT, which equates to 1.44 million. In, in yesterday's uh, money and that was three days after Wolves sold Steve Daly for a similar sum so at this point you know you're still a relatively young man yes you've cut your teeth in English football you've scored goals Andy but from your point of view you know with that fee did it did it bring its own set of pressures? Not to me <laughs> uh, I have to be honest uh, not to me uh, I mean I was 23 then um, I had had four years, really successful years there. I knew the league. I felt I was good enough. You know, I'd, I'd been given the Young Player and Player of the Year award a couple of years previously, yes. which pretty much told me um, that I was I was good enough to play in this league. And you know, I fallen out with Ron Saunders. I actually never thought I'd, I'd be leaving Villa for for years. I thought that I'd be there for quite some time, but I had a fallout with Ron Saunders and decided that I had to go. I lost all respect for him and. Um, I didn't want to play for him anymore. So that was the end of that. So I decided to go. He thought by putting a massive transfer fee on my head that no one could match it. Yeah. Um, but fortunately for me, Barney just sold Steve Daly um, to Man City for a, a similar sum. Yes. I think he had to put about 46 grand to it, 40 yes, grand yes. to the fee. And that was all. And he was he was about the only person, there was the only club in the world that could afford to, to pay it. Yeah. Because there was a ceiling in Europe at that time of five hundred grand, so no one in Europe was was interested because this was going to cost three times more than that. So it was a case of you know talk to John Barnwell and see how I felt. And I, I spoke to Barney. I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot. And and I thought, yeah, again, he told me what he was planning. Um, he had big ideas. Sadly, through no fault of his. You know, they, they, they didn't come to fruition with John. Yeah. Um, but the ideas were there. He promised me he'd sign Dave Thomas. He did. One of the best suppliers of a football in the league. Yeah. For somebody like me. 
Um, but he never got on with uh, with Richie, Richie Barker and Dave Thomas. Never saw eye to eye. And Dave never settled, which was a real shame for us because he was a brilliant player. And we didn't see the best of him in a wolf shirt. But I was happy to sign. Um, I, I knew what I was doing. I just wanted to get away and play football. And, and for a couple of years, you know, it was it was terrific. With a brilliant first season, finished in the top six, I think, won the league cup. Um, it was it was it was just you know they looked like really good times, and then we all know what happened. Um, the club went to liquidation, went to receivership, and and pretty much all the hopes and dreams that John Barnwell had went down the, the pan with him. I mean. We, we talk about the fee, Andy. To be honest, Wolves at, at the time, you know, in 76-77, you, you got 29 goals. PFA Young Player of the Year, and like you said, PFA Players Player of the Year, and he was the youngest player to obviously get that accolade. So I think although it was big money at the time, um, from Wolves' point of view, it was good business because you had your golden day, obviously, in 1980, um, when obviously we got to Wembley and, and you got the winner, and that was in your first season, Andy. Did you expect it all to go so well? Um, and I, I thought we'd, because of the way we started when I arrived at the club, we had some amazing results. I think um, we flew out the traps, beat Arsenal, I think, away at Highbury 3-2 or 3-1, beat Manchester United at home 3-2 in a, in a fantastic game. And we had some really big games to start when we, and I think we beat Everton as well, all in the first month or so. Big teams, good teams, and we beat them. And I think it gave us all a huge amount of confidence. Yes. Um, you know, we, we, we had some really good players. It was it was a kind of older team. The, the one thing about the Wolves that was different from Villa is that Villa had a lot of good young players. Wolves had a lot of great experienced players. Um, Kenny Hibbert, Willie Carr, John Richards, Emlyn Hughes, John McCall, Derek Parkin. You know, all these were, you know, seasoned professionals. They, they, they knew what they were doing, but they were the right kind. Uh, yeah. there, were, there were nobody in there. That, uh, that that was a wrong kidding. They were they were the right sort, and we had one or two young players who never quite made it. You know, there they was Wayne Clark flashed yes. for a little bit. I thought Wayne was going to be a terrific player like Alan, but he never really got to those heights. And there was one or two others that came and went, and it never quite made the the, the step up to, to keep us going forward. And I think with the the trouble the the club was in financially. Um, it was it was disaster written all over it. Yeah. Now, obviously, Andy, in that first season, it culminated in Wembley. Um, listen, mm-hmm. you know, you won a few trophies in your career. We, we, with that one at Wolves, obviously, went into that game as the underdogs playing the European champions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, what do you remember most about the day? And and obviously, talk us through that fantastic goal. Well, what I remember about the day is I never nearly made it because. Um, uh, a little known fact that, that prior to the final I had been sent off or been booked too many times Right. and I was due to miss the final uh, right. my suspension was taking me into the final but it meant that we had arranged the game on the Tuesday before the final or the Wednesday before the final against Aston Villa of all clubs right. Aston Villa went on the Saturday to play West Ham in the FA Cup if it was a draw, the game would have been cancelled, the league game would have been cancelled and I'd have missed the final. I was in the downstairs in the little players' lounge with Kenny Hibbert. I'll never forget it. We were watching the reserves play at Molyneux. And I came downstairs because with about 10 minutes to go, it was still nil-nil at yeah. Upton Park. And I'm saying to Kenny, I'm missing the final. I said, of all teams, to make me miss the final, I said, Villa. 
and and it was still nil nil with five minutes to go. So I just went downstairs into that little players' lounge that they used to have under the stand. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, about five minutes later, I hear this roar, and I think that's a bit loud for a reserve game. <laughs> and Kenny came running in and said, "West Ham have just scored. They've just scored from a penalty." And who scores a penalty? A guy called Ray Stewart, who played for my old club, Dundee United, and was bought from there. And it's amazing that a fellow Scott, who played at my old club, saved my life. And it meant that we could play Villa on the Tuesday night, like we did. I served my ban. Brilliant. And that left me free to play in the final on the, on the weekend. But for Ray Stewart, um, we may not have won that League Cup. And I certainly wouldn't have scored the winning goal, that's for sure. I mean... I mean, look, we, we, we've all seen the goal, Andy, but, you know, we, we could we could all make it to be a 30-yard screamer, but you, you talk us through it. Uh, well, I don't care what it was. <laughs> if you look at the record books, it doesn't give you a description like that. It exactly. just says Wolves 1, West, Nottingham Forest 0, scorer Gray. <laughs> I mean... So, no, this was, this was a ball that we played quite a lot when I played for Wolves with, with, with Peter Daniel on the side. Peter had a fantastic feet in him and he, he could pick it up pass he was very good at hitting 50 60 yard diagonals and that, that was a ploy i used a lot i used to like to pull on the shoulder of the opposite center back yeah um quite a bit if there was if there was room in behind and we would try and drop diagonal balls either for me to go on to or for me to join up with john richards or whatever and it was we didn't get many of it because we were battered on the day if you remember they were yes. just yes. so much better than us but we hung in. Paul Bradshaw played out his skin. Emlyn Hughes was his majestic self. It was his swan song. It was the only trophy he had never won yeah. as a Liverpool player. Won everything. And here he was coming to Wolves with, yeah, coming to Wolves with two bent knees. They were short to bits. <laughs> he could hardly walk. And yeah, here he was playing magnificent out his skin. Um, and we hung, we hung on in there. But as the game went on, I do remember we grew more and more confident in the second half we had a goal disallowed dodgy decision a little bit before a couple of minutes five minutes before the goal um, John Richards, but I do remember it? that it was a ball we, we wanted to play say again John Richards wasn't it the disallowed goal yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was a scruffy goal he gave a foul against me for a foul on Shelton or against John for foul on Peter Shelton um, you know it was a bit soft but anyway they gave it but that ball was always on for us and what happened no, when he hit it and I remember looking, when he hit it, I thought, ah, it's not getting here. I knew David Needham was going to get there. Yeah. And my first instinct was to go and challenge him in the air and try and knock it back towards where John Richards was coming from. And then I looked, you know, I just it was only a glance. It wasn't a look, it was a glance. It's what you do when the ball, I just took my eye off it for a, for a fraction of a second. And I saw Schultz coming, running off his line. And I thought, where's he going? And I don't know why, but instead of challenging David, which I would normally have done, yeah. I ran past him because I, I could see disaster was about to happen or something <laughs> might happen. Yeah. And of course, as you know, the, the David Needham thought he'd done brilliantly. I think he just cushioned it with his chest back towards where he thought Schultz was. Half a second later, Schultz was clattering into him. And my only thought was, get to the ball before it crosses the line. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, no way is it going to be an own goal. I've got to get there. Brilliant. And Richard Keyes, Richard Keyes always ribs me about it. He says, why Why did you run round it and hit it with your left foot? I says, what? Well, because I was left-footed. He said, well, you had a wonderful opportunity to tell everybody you scored the winning goal at Wembley with your right foot. 
Brilliant. I said I wasn't taking a chance. No, listen, I mean, you know, I remember it well. And like you said, you know, you're obviously bearing through on goal. You don't want to take any chances there, do you, Andy? No, well, I wasn't going to. I was not going to. I was just let it get as close to the line as I could and then smash it and just coax it in and then go off and run it. I remember when I got behind the goal, I suddenly thought, what have I done? I looked up and I was about 90 yards from the halfway line. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> And all the boys, half the boys didn't come. If you look, if you look at the celebrations, yeah. half the boys didn't make it because I, I just got too far. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Andy, we we did a, a 1980 reunion dinner recently, which we invited you to, but you gave your apologies because you couldn't make it, and and you did a lovely video for the boys. That's and, correct. And you know what? They said exactly that. They said there was that tired. Because there was under that much pressure that, that they didn't want to come yeah. all the way to the other end and celebrate with you because they knew they had to get back. Exactly. <laughs> if you look at it, there's only about I think Mel Eves, Peter Daniel might have got there. Peter because he could run about. He was he was a fit lad. Yes. But there weren't many, and I just thought, yeah, well, no wonder because I turned around and I thought, oh no, I've got to go all the way back to the halfway line now. <laughs> I mean. Andy, like I said, you've got, you know, you signed on the pitch versus Palace in that iconic picture. Mm. Um, uh-huh. It started off so well, obviously, the first season. Um, we finished sixth in the league. The next season, we finished 18th. Yeah. The next season, we, we, we got relegated. Um, yeah. I mean, where do you think it started going wrong, Andy, in terms of, you know, was it the lack of investment? Because I know that there was all the money put into the, the new stand. Or, mm-hmm. or was it an ageing team? Where, where do you think it started going wrong? It was a bit of both, actually. It, it was it was an aging team. I said to you, we had some some good pros that yes. um, you know, uh, Emlyn was was done. Emlyn, yeah. that was his last season. He basically was done. He could he couldn't get through that. You know, we had you know, um, John's knee was playing up a bit. John Richards, um, he obviously had that really bad knee. He was struggling. We had Kenny Hibbert, Willie Carr. These are all they could still play, but what we needed was definitely investment. And, and better players yeah. as I said Dave Thomas was, was promised and he was got by John but sadly him and Dave and Richie Barker just did not see eye to eye yeah. um, it was not a marriage made in heaven it was a marriage made in hell yes. and sadly for Wolves we didn't see anywhere near the talent that Dave Thomas had but that's what we needed we needed players like that genuine quality who were early to mid 20s yeah. um, and even even mid late 20s with a bit of experience but the right kind we needed that we didn't get it the stand was made a priority and there was so much money wasted on that at a time when it didn't need it and then of course we all we all know the history tells us what happened to the club it was it was terrible I mean so we had that relegation then we got the promotion I mean was Mm -hmm. it was it a difficult decision Andy at that time to stay with the club because obviously you should have been playing in the top flight along with a few others was it a difficult decision to to keep playing or were you confident that we'd get back up at the first attempt do do, do you know Jace I I, I, it's a strange one because when we went down I was horrified of course I was I was uh, I was no good that summer not one to be with yeah Um, and uh, it was it was a horrible feeling um, and I remember, uh, it's not a case of, well, did you go away? I should have been playing high league. I didn't deserve to be playing high league because I hadn't had a good season. I had a terrible season as well. Right. I was as bad as the next guy. Uh, and I didn't have a particularly good season. So I never went into that season thinking, I'm better than this. I went into that season thinking, we're going to get up here. We need to get up. And straight away, we can't. if we don't get up, Straight away, we might struggle to get up at all. I think that's always the case when you get down. The best thing you can do is get straight back up. 
Yeah. And that was the, that was what was on my mind, and that was on all the boys' minds. And and there was a lot of pressure uh, that season to get promotion, um, but we we just about hung on and, yeah. and got up. So I, I wasn't thinking uh, of, of of leaving, but then at the beginning of the next season when we were up, we, we had a bad start again. Yeah. We were, I don't think, if memory serves me well, we weren't particularly good that season. Managers, I think, have come and got Graham Hawkins. Was Graham there? Yeah, yeah, I think Graham, Graham might have been there. It was Graham that took us up. Graham Hawkins took us into the top flight again. That's right. Graham yeah. Hawkins and Jim Barron, that's right, as his assistant, that's right. And and Graham did a great job there and he's taken us up. But I'm, I'm not sure Graham um, was the right man for the top league. Yes. And I say that with no disrespect to Graham at all. I think maybe the, maybe the top league was just too big for him. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, because we didn't start well, we were poor. And I remember going, into, you know, the pub down the road from, from Molyneux, uh, down at the bottom. Uh, there's the goalpost. Is it still there? Yeah, there's the goalpost. The goalpost. I remember, I remember going in there one afternoon. I think we had just been thumped <laughs> five by Manchester United. Right. Trafford. Pretty sure it was that. And, and after training, me, Hibby, Willie Carr and Richo. Uh, before experience, but well, I, I mean, I was still fairly young, um, but the, the guys, well, I wasn't, I was 27 or something like that, but um, the four experienced lads, we went and we went down the pub and we sat there and we thought, and that's what that's how players did it then, we cared and we cared about where the club was going and we sat down to try and figure out a way of turning this around and we were talking about it and debating it. I went home and I got a call that day from uh, Graham uh, uh, to come into the ground and collect my medical records um, because the club had agreed not him but the club had agreed to sell me because they were still in financial difficulty because yeah. Everton offered just over 100 grand I was an asset and and I thought then they thought we need to sell it um, so I went up and and as I say it was uh, it was a case of they needed me to go Yeah, I needed to go because um, to, to, I didn't know if I could still play that was the other thing for me. I arrived when I left Wolves. I didn't know if I could hack it again at the big level. I really didn't, and, really? and I was unsure. Really, that's 100. percent I was unsure. Uh, I just wondered, maybe, maybe my glory days were in up to the age of 25, 26. Maybe I'm not going to going to get any now, because as you know, getting relegated, getting promoted, and then struggling in the next season at the beginning. That was two years of, of hard hard work. Yes, with little reward. Um, and and so I didn't know if I could still hack it in the, in the big league so Everton gave me the chance well, they, they, they themselves were not in a great place they were in the bottom six yeah. Howard was under pressure really struggling so I wasn't exactly joining top of the table when I left Wolves to be honest I mean Andy from that point of view Wolves sold you for, for £250,000 which was really cut price and a lot of Wolves fans believe we'd, have, we'd given you away to be fair and Everton once again they did reap the benefits obviously won the FA Cup against Watford you scored uh, European Cup Winners Cup 3-1 versus Rapid Vienna once again you scored and, and obviously the league championship so from your point of view it was a, it, it was a great move in the end wasn't it? Oh, it was uh, it was the best move ever. Obviously, yeah. I mean, you just have to look at the two years I had there. Oh. Um, less everything, um, a fraction away from doing the treble. Um, you know, it was it was, and again, when I got there, it was it was I arrived there, and we were they were getting twelve thousand at Goodison, thirteen thousand. It was just the place was, wow. um, and its knees, and and it's just extraordinary to think that within two years we've gone from there 
to the top of the league, winning it by a distance. Um, the Cup Winners' Cup, the first Europe and only European trophy ever have ever won. Wow. And, you know, a fraction away from, from winning the treble when United beat us in the final of the FA Cup that year. As holders, of course, because as you say, yes. rightly, we won it the year before against Watford. Yes. So it was, it was it was two golden years with some amazing young footballers. What Howard had managed to do, whether it was by design, probably a little bit lucky as well, but, you know, he knew a player, Howard, without a shadow of a doubt. He had amassed a, a fantastic bunch of young kids. Yes. And some some wily old foxes like me and Reedy um, to yeah. keep them in line. And I think that's what John was trying to do at Wolves, but he didn't have the, the funds to get that kind of thing done. But Howard did. And my goodness, what a difference two years made it uh, to Everton. It's extraordinary. Oh, absolutely huge then. Obviously, you went to Villa, uh, returned to Villa, and then how you ended up here, Andy, I don't know. And I wasn't going to mention it, but you ended up at West Brom. I mean, how did that come about? Well, I mean, I went back to Villa. I shouldn't have had. I shouldn't have gone back. I should have stayed at Everton. Um, right. I know that now. It was a it was a bad decision that I made in haste. Uh, I should have stayed where I was, but it was Villa. It's a club I spent four glorious years at. Yes. And I thought that maybe we could rekindle some of that. But again, yes. Villa weren't in a great place, and they were changing managers regularly, regularly. And it was a it was a really tough couple of years. And then Graham Taylor came in, and he, he, he took me in. And he sat me down. I was the first player he called in. And he said, um, Birmingham City, want to buy you? And I looked at him. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> he start, I started laughing. I said, Birmingham City? Are you, are you sure? I said, nah. I said, I'm sorry, Kim. Uh, no, that's that's never going to happen. Yeah. He said, well, I, I've got I've got to sell you, Andy. I said, why is that? I said, because I'm, I'm a really good pro, I think. And it'd be good for you. And... And, and I speak not a word of a lie. He just said to me, he said, you're, you're too powerful among the players. And I thought, okay, all right, I understand, you're the gaffer. And I said to him, you know, great, I understand, thanks for your candid, thanks yeah. for being so candid and, and being so honest. I says, uh, yeah, I'll go, but I'm not going to Birmingham. And then my old mate called me, Ron. Ron called me. <laughs> Ron Saunders uh, Ron again? Atkinson. Oh, Ron, no, Atkinson. Ron Atkinson. Oh, Ron Atkinson, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Ron was it. Ron was at the baggies. Uh, Ron was at the baggies there. Yes. And that's the only reason uh, that I went. He gave me a call and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Not a lot." I said, "I've got to go. I'm, I'm looking to go." And it was they were in the second division at the time and they were struggling. He says, uh, "Do me a favour." He says, "Why don't you come over and and play? Uh, I'll look after you and, and make sure you're all right, etc. Training wise, will protect you and coax you along. But I need you here because." Otherwise, I think we might go down again. Yeah. Uh, so I went, and I think, well, and I loved it. I, I liked working with Big Ron, and that was why I ended up being his, his coach at Villa for that year as well. Yes. Um, because he saw something in me there as well. But I went there and uh, enjoyed the, the sort of ten months out of the baggies. Yeah. Uh, it was good fun, and, uh, and and then obviously I got the, the move of the dream move oh. uh, to play for the team I supported as a boy. Well, I was going to say, growing up, you're a, you're a huge Rangers fan and it was 88, 89, you got mm. your chance to play at Ibrox. What was that like, Andy? Um, it, was, it was the cherry on the icing on yeah. the top of the cake. And I remember I was sitting at home at the beginning of the second season at the Baggies and Ron called me. Uh, yeah, and a big man here. I said, hi, boss. He said, uh, who have you always wanted to play for? And you've never had the opportunity and, and I didn't want to say Rangers, so I said, "Bloody hell, big man! Real Madrid haven't come in for the." 
and he says, he says, what? He says, you've got a short knee, you're in your 30s, would have Real Madrid want me? He says, no, Suri's been on the phone. He wants to know if you, you would go up for a year and just help him out in his first season. Um, I wow. says, Let, I'll walk there if I have to. So I went up, met Graham, signed. He said, I don't want you to live up here, Andy. He said, just live in, live in England, train there, come up on a Friday morning. If I need you, I'll use you, but you'll be predominantly on the bench and, and I'll use you whenever I can. And yeah. I said, brilliant. I said, that's fantastic. And so for my family, it was it was for them a dream come true. Oh, huge. Uh, because their brother and their son was now playing at, uh, at our club. And uh, and they loved it. The family just adored it. Uh, wow. My mum was delighted. My brother, I had three older brothers who were all Mad Rangers fans. So you can imagine how they felt. Oh wow! And also, Andy, you got to play. And of course, we win. We win the. We win the first. We won the first league title, in the nine in a row. Yes. So uh, that was just amazing. Uh, so great. That was a great year. That was. A, it was a wonderful way for me to finish. Wow. I couldn't have finished on a better note. And, and Andy, uh, the, the point was going to come to you. Obviously, you played for your country as well. Twenty caps, seven goals, I believe. I mean, once again, how proud is that for you? And as, as a, you know, proud Scott, how proud is that for your family as well? Well, I think when you were a Scot growing up, there were a few things you wanted to do if you were, you, you were a forward. You wanted to play in an FA Cup final. You wanted to win an FA Cup final. That was the big one in the old days. And you wanted to score an FA Cup final. Um, and you wanted to play for your country. Uh, I did all those things. I did yes. more than that. So I was a proud Scot, a hundred percent proud Scot. Yeah. Um, my only disappointment is that I I I feel with the ability I had, I should have had fifty plus caps. Yeah. Um, but for one or two reasons, I didn't. Yeah. And 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 the big the big disappointment is having played in numerous World Cup qualifying matches for one reason or another. I never got to play in, a cup, in the World Cup, so that's the only disappointment wow. I have in 17 years of playing professional football. So if I've got one disappointment, big disappointment, then I've done all right. I mean, to be honest, Andy, League Cup winner at Wolves, FA Cup winner at Everton, League Championship at Everton, a European trophy at Everton. I mean, what a great career now. Uh, point I want to... Sorry, sorry, don't forget, don't forget, League Cup winner at, uh, at Villa as well. Oh, League Cup winner, yes, of course, yes, I do apologise, Andy, sorry, mate, I, I was only thinking of that great well, day. Well, either, either that, I've, if, if I've not got that, I've got someone's tankard in my house that says League Cup winners. Actually, have you still got your, have you still got your walls tankard, Andy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant, all these years. Of course I have. Good, I was speaking to a friend of mine today, actually, and he was with you at Cheltenham Town, now... I was going to ask a question really on your headers because it must have been something you worked on because obviously you, you had the trademark diving header. And he said he, his first day, John Purdy was, who played for Wolves, but when he was at Cheltenham, he said his first day was spent literally crossing 50-odd balls into you at training for you to, to get your head on the end of it. I mean, was that something you used to work on a lot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worked on finishing a lot. I was, I was, I was never the most talented footballer in the world. No, I never claimed to be, yeah. but I could finish. And and if people um, would create things for me, um, I could finish. And I was brave enough to, to, I think, brave or mad, whatever way you want to look at it, yeah. um, to to go and throw myself into areas where others might not have, for instance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had to make up for not being as, as skillful as a lot of footballers by by doing other things yeah. so I worked really hard on finishing uh, most afternoons at every club I was at 
I would I would do extra, uh, whether it was after training or whether it was in the afternoon. Certainly in my formative years, uh, I spent an awful lot of time yeah. uh, working on on finishing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Andy, when obviously when it comes to, to obviously the end of your career, was I mean, look, we all know what you've done on on Sky TV, and you know what you're doing now. You obviously your football knowledge is huge. Was was punditry ever something that you naturally was going to go into, or is it something you fell into? And why didn't you why didn't you look at management? I did look at management when I, when I finished at Rangers and I came back to England in that summer. Um, I I I had I hundred percent thought that um, by the start of the season I would be like a player manager. Yes. Um, a team that maybe was wanting to grow a little. Um, and I spoke to one or two teams. I spoke to Swindon. I spoke to Hibs. Um, right about that time, and 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 a bit late eighties. And and I, and I just thought, do you know what? Yeah, I might do that. I was looking at things, and then all of a sudden the phone rang. A pal of mine from Scotland, who just said, "Can I talk to you? Um, I've got a project that's going to be starting in six months." And it was uh, B Sky B, as yeah. it was known then. Uh, he said, "I want you um, to be the pundit. I want you to be the voice of the fo- of football." Uh, he knew me from Scotland. He he knew me from doing interviews for him for Scottish Television, and he liked the way I sounded, and he liked. Uh, he thought I had a nice TV manner, as he put it, and he would teach me the things I needed to know about television, and he did. Uh, and so I met him, and I met his boss, and in London, and they put the proposal to me. And I thought, when did we start? He said, next February. And this was August. And of course, in those days, it was not like now where footballers retire and they never have to worry about working again in their lives. Yeah. Um, a footballer who retired in my day had to get a job. It's yeah. quite simple as that. They had to get work. So, uh, and a lad that I knew, Jim Barron, who had worked yeah. with us with Big Ron, and I knew Jim at Wolves. He worked with us at Wolves. And, um, and he worked with us at Villa. And he had taken over Cheltenham. And he said, he called me and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to join in February. I'm going to leave to go. And he said, oh, please come and play for me at Cheltenham. He said, it'd be great for the city or the town. And, and they'd love that. And I was only 15 minutes up the road in Worcester. I used to live in Worcester. Right. Which is just up the road from Cheltenham. And I said, um, he said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look after you. Well, you know, we can't pay you, obviously, what you were getting at Rangers and things like that. Yes. But, you know, we can look after you until, until February comes. So I did, I went and played for Cheltenham, I had six fabulous months with the boys there, training twice a night, twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday I think, yeah. playing at the weekend, it was really fun, it was really fun, and then February, that was it, uh, we started work on the new satellite channel, um, and it was it was really exciting to be in at the beginning of something. I mean, you, you, you couldn't have imagined how well it went for you Andy on Sky, because you was the face of Sky for many years, and I'm sure you was disappointed obviously when it ended, but obviously you're still now working in Qatar, so how's how's life uh, out in uh, in Qatar? Life is very good, apart from being a bit hot at the moment, yeah. um, you know, I've been here, uh, it'll be seven years next month, and... Uh, it's gone so quickly. I can't. I can't tell you. Uh, we work for a giant of a of a TV company yes. worldwide. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, they look after us great, and we have all the football we, we we have. We have every league that we want: the Bundesliga, League One, uh, Serie A, La Liga, Premier League, Eredivisie. You know, you name it, we have it. And, yes. Uh, you know, we do. 
have as well. We do the Premier League, and it's great. And um, it's been a wonderful, particularly with the World Cup arriving on the shores in just yes. over two years from now. Yeah. Um, so everything we've we've kind of watched a country grow here. They've not been building just stadiums; they've been building a country. Yes. Uh, in preparation for the World Cup, and and they're doing an amazing job of it. And the stadiums are going to be mind blowing when when everyone sees them. Uh, most of them are, are nearly complete. Some are complete already, with over two and a half years to go. Um, the majority will be finished with the, with over a year to go. So they're right on track. So it's an exciting place to be, yeah. as I've said. But it's a you know I'm not we're not I'm not working for some hick little company here in in, in the Middle East. Yeah, I'm working for a, 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 a giant of a, of a sports channel. Yeah, it's a very serious organisation, and you know things that we do on our channel we see quoted in the English press on a daily basis. You know, yes. so everyone's watching. Oh yes, everyone's still looking, Jason. You know, I, I, I'm enjoying it. I have to say, uh, at the age I'm at now, I wake I wake up every day, sort of most of my life now in the sun shining, and I can go play golf two or three times a week if I want to. Yeah, and you know, I work hard at the weekends. And, 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 and that's great. I love what I do. I still enjoy it. still love football. still love watching it. So excited that it's coming back. Although it'll be a different football for a while. Yeah. It's coming back. And, and I think that's the main thing, as long as we all feel it's safe to do so. Um, and yeah, I've got three, three years, three years of a contract still to run. Um, and then I don't know what I'll do then. Um, I'll probably be too old for the lads to keep us here. I don't know. I don't know, Jess. Might just come back to the UK, see what's happening. To be honest, Andy, do a little bit you, of could actually, you could start your management career then, couldn't you? No, I, I don't think at my age there'll be anyone. <laughs> the words dinosaur often come up when you get to people. But when I see Roy Hodgson and he's 70, still coaching in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean that that's fantastic. No, no, I had a chance. I, I, I had a chance at Everton. I could have gone to Everton um, at the beginning of Sky uh, when I had an opportunity. Not an opportunity. They, I thought I talked to them about the possibility of being a manager about '96. Yeah. And then I met them and we chatted, uh, but nothing came of it. And I think in hindsight it was the right decision for both. It was the right decision for both me and Everton at that particular time. So yeah. uh, now I think I will when I'm sitting in my rocking chair and I hope that's still a long way off. Yes. Uh, when I am. I might just be sitting there rocking, thinking, I wonder if I'd have been any good as a manager. Maybe. I might be thinking that. But um, I, I, I'll be okay, I think. Good. Andy, finally, really, you, you played for Wolves uh, more than any other club in your career. After you left, after obviously starting on such a high win in the League Cup, how difficult was it watching the club decline as they did and go on three successive relegations from the top flight to the fourth division? How hard was that to watch knowing you couldn't do anything? It's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Um, I, I couldn't believe at one time where I was where I was watching Wolves where they, where they had plummeted to. Uh, I, I knew we were in trouble. I knew that. I knew the club was, was struggling. I knew it had problems. But the depth of the problems... Had, I didn't, and obviously I, I was in contact with people like Kenny Hibbert and John Richards quite a bit yeah. in the early days as well. They were keeping me up to speed, um, and Kenny still does um, keeps me up to speed with what's going on there. Um, but it was it was it was tragic. I mean, to see that club where it ended up um, was, and I'm thinking that, that can't be right. That's the, that's the lowest echelon of British football, or English football. What, yeah. what are Wolves doing down there? Um, you know, this one's proud club, but. The good news is that it's uh, the pride is back, oh. and how, 
it's been a it's been a long journey, and many people have contributed to it. Many people, um, good managers who have done great jobs at t- difficult times, and and the, the rise back up the leagues. Um, Steve Bull, iconic Steve, yeah, did so much to get the club up with his goals in various leagues that he played in all the way through. Um, and now they have the money, they have some wealth. This is the kind of thing that John Barnwell was desperate for. Yes. This kind of investment 100%. that Nuno Espirito Santo has, has enjoyed. But it's one thing getting the investment and getting the players. It's another getting them to play and being consistent. And I think what Nuno's done has been absolutely sensational. I didn't know a lot about him when he arrived. I don't think anyone did. Um, but my goodness, he's he's lit up Molyneux and he's got himself a, a, a fantastic way of playing. It's, 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 the lads know it, it doesn't change. Maybe just tinkers with it occasionally, but not yeah. very often. Um, so the boys all know what they're required to do. Um, and he doesn't change much ever. He'll try and keep the same team playing if he can, but he just freshens up now and again. I think he's done a brilliant job, him and his staff. And I think the players have been... Uh, different class. The only problem being, of course, and uh, would be that the better the players that are playing, then the more chance they are that someone else is going to come and take them. Yes. And that's the biggest worry. But you never know with the pandemic now and with COVID-19, uh, maybe, maybe people won't be flying about for the types of money that they are yeah. in the future and clubs will have to be more restricted in what they're buying and who they're buying. So maybe we won't lose. I think we'll, we'll probably have to understand that somebody will go, maybe a couple um, of big players who are getting big reputations and attracting attention but you never know, I hope not, I hope Wolves can give them what they want as players financially and professionally Yeah, I mean Andy and if they can do that, then why not stay? I I never usually ask the the guests I mean I've asked you a lot about your career obviously and and that's the aim of this podcast I never usually ask the guests about the current team um, but with yourself, obviously, we've got arguably one of the greatest TV pundits of the last 30, 40 years. Uh, how far do you think Wolves can go, Andy? Well, I have to say, you only have to look at where they sit in the league and they don't have far to go. But what I would say, what I would say is they jump, they jump from, to, to get from coming into the league to where they are now is, is manageable, is makeable. Yes. We've seen a lot of teams get to top six, seventh, that kind of area. Uh, and not quite have the wherewithal to bridge the big gap. Now, the gap from where Wolves are now and where Nuno and his boys are now to the top four, let's say, that's a big gap. Yeah, That's the biggest. That's the big one, because the, the teams above you are, are rich and powerful and talented and, and can do things that maybe Wolves can't with regard to spending money. Uh, so... What this team have done has been fabulous. I mean, fabulous. And I don't think it's finished. Um, I was so pleased this year because so many people have told me that you can't play European football on a Thursday and be any good in the league unless you're a top five club, a top four club. And I've always believed you can if the players and the manager go about it in the right way. And I'm so pleased that Nuno and the players have, have, have shown that to be just nonsense. How deep going in the Europa League how deep they are in the Europa League and and how well they're doing in the league so you can do both it just means that you have to have the mentality and the desire to do it so the answer to your question 
can they get into what? Can they get top four? Are you asking me? Yeah, can can, can we make the Champions League? You know, do you, do you do you think we can? Well, listen. There's a simple answer to that. I never thought Leicester City would win the Premier League in a million years. <laughs> and even no, halfway through and three quarters of the way through, I still didn't think they could do it. Yeah. They did. They did. So, Wolves have quality, undoubted quality. Yeah. An awful lot of it. They have a good group of players. They don't just rely on a living. They've got others who can come in and supplement the, the best players and do good jobs for them. Uh, so, there's absolutely no reason why they can't cement their place in the top six or seven in the league right now yeah. this season. I mean, look at Sheffield United. Sheffield United win against Villa in the game coming up. They go above Manchester United wow. in the fifth place. I mean, that's that's extraordinary what Chris Wilder has done. Yeah. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. But that's what I'm saying. So, yes, I think that the top four is a big ask, but there's nothing wrong with cementing where they are now, hopefully by keeping their best players adding to them keeping their manager obviously yeah, yeah. that's okay. uh, and, and letting them work for the next couple of years I think if, if they can if they continue to invest and they continue to improve there's absolutely no reason in the next couple of years that Wolves couldn't be competing for our Champions League place absolutely no reason wow you heard it here first well Andy I want to obviously thank your son Jamie as well for arranging the interview um, and that, that was very good no, Obviously, problem yeah he called me yeah yeah very good of him to put us in touch and, and andy i want to thank you personally for you know giving us that great day march 1980 where you know we beat the european champions that is the last trophy the last major trophy that wolves have won and obviously 40 years to this year so uh andy thanks for playing your part in wolves history uh in the old golden black and you know thanks for for being on the wolf whistle today no it was a pleasure thanks very much i enjoyed it Thanks, Andy. Thanks, yes.